0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. Don't adjust your computer screens or TV sets. I'm here with Craig Smith, who is, uh, wow, just like such an important figure in this whole history of what has happened with the, the Santa Barbara news press. And I'm so looking forward to having this conversation because, one, I want to get reacquainted with Craig Uh, from uh, really not talking to him for a long time and um, also kind of re-educate the sort of the you know the newbies about what was going on back in the early 2000s and and how incredibly powerful and influential craig smith and craig smith's blog was so this is going to be a fantastic conversation craig smith i ran into you on the street not too long ago we talked we chatted briefly maybe have some coffee and then this news of the santa barbara news press happens and i wanted to just uh speed it up and reach out to you and talk to you craig smith attorney uh teacher um person of of many 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 jobs i'm sure we'll talk about later how are you doing today i'm doing well josh and thanks for having me how are you i'm great uh it's really a, a pleasure to talk to you uh Craig Smith, you had Craig Smith's blog back in the early 2000s, and this was the place that everybody went to for their media and political news. And it's kind of hard to really explain how influential it was, but I know back as a young journalist, we would look at that in the morning. You know, we'd want to see, like, what does Craig Smith have? What tips? What information? Does he have? And so you developed your own sort of like character and identity within this larger scope of what was happening at the Santa Barbara news press. And so I wanted to talk and unravel all that and figure out like how that happened and how you did it and, and, and why you were so influential in that area. But I want to start off immediately with the big news, which, um, I broke yesterday. Other media is, is following. It's huge. Everyone's writing about it. Uh, that the Santa Barbara News Press is no longer going to be publishing. They've decided uh, no print a while back, no online. Uh, All jobs have been eliminated. Uh, They're done, and they filed a petition for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And so everyone's sort of like, whoa, what has happened here? Uh, What do you think of this news, Craig?
1: Well, It's certainly not good news, and I take no joy in the fact that uh, we've now lost our only daily newspaper in this town because journalism is so important and access to the news is so important. And, of course, you know, the news press has been the source of controversy for 16 years now. We just have the 16th anniversary of what I call the meltdown at the news press. And the paper has very slowly been kind of dying off. In in some ways, I'm surprised that it took this long. I'm surprised that the demise didn't occur much earlier. But I think probably what delayed the demise was the very deep pockets of the owner and publisher, uh, Wendy McCaw. So at some point, I think she just decided that uh, she wanted to stop pouring money into it. It could also be, uh, and I'm certainly not an expert on, I'm a lawyer, I'm certainly not an expert on labor law or labor relations. It could be a way out of trying to avoid paying uh, the hefty fines and and back pay and wages that she owes many of of her former workers. Those fines were imposed by the National Labor Relations Board, and uh, very few people have actually collected any money from her. As a result of those judgments. So I think it's a combination of those two, two things, wanting to avoid the liability and and trying to get out of it by declaring bankruptcy and the fact that the paper is a mere shadow of itself and uh, it's really not a profitable or money making operation any longer. And it probably hasn't been a profitable or money making operation for quite some time.
0: Yeah, it is very sad. You know, I spent, uh, seven years of my life in that building from 99 to 2006. A lot of people these days just kind of know me as the Newshawk reporter, but, um, that was where I, I started, uh, you know, at the news press and it was the greatest place in the world to work. You know, you had this amazing, fantastic building. When I was hired, it was owned by the New York Times. And we had some amazing editors and reporters who worked in the building much better than you would find in a market of this size anywhere else. And largely that's because it's Santa Barbara and so many people want to live near the ocean. Um, But also working for the New York Times company, journalists were high quality because they're in that pipeline of of either having worked at the New York Times and being kind of reassigned or on their way up to get assigned to another regional New York Times paper. And so it was amazing, right? It was fantastic, you know, and, and I always mention, of course, even before Jerry Roberts, people like, uh, you know, Scott Hadley, who's, you know, incredible LA former LA Times reporter. and Don Hobbs was this incredible investigative reporter. And even before then, my editor, old Jesse Chavaria, who was, um, you know, a, a really good city editor and columnist. And we just had all of these incredible people who uh, worked in that building. And so whenever I, you know, we, we write about the news press these days, it's just so hard to encapsulate how, what, what magnitude that newspaper had at one point. And that's what I want to talk to you about, Craig is, 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 you know, there aren't a lot of communities where people are like, cheering on their newspaper and and that's what happened people really liked it and and, and of course there was always those people who you know they're never going to like their local paper but the the news press had something special way back when tell me about your blog and craig smith's blog because you know we have these days we have NewsHawk, and we have the independent and we have ed hat and um of course we have other publications that people go to but those are like the three right they circle they go to those right. kind of like this one you go there first or that one, but those those are the go to local news sites. Uh, back then Craig Smith was the first it was like, we're go- you got to go there in the morning to find out what's really going on. Tell me how you started Craig Smith and what was why was it so impactful.
1: Well, the blog actually existed before the news press meltdown. The news press meltdown is really what made the blog take off. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in 2005, I was uh, part of the media contingent that was covering the Michael Jackson trial up in Santa Maria. And so I would be a legal analyst for the press pool there. I appeared on uh, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, just about every network, including a lot of local affiliates that were uh, covering the trial. And so I guess when the trial finally ended in June 2005, I was experiencing a little bit of withdrawal and wanted to kind of keep that legal analyst thing going, so I started the blog. And when I started it, it was by no means uh, uh, centered on Santa Barbara. I was trying to comment on, you know, other cases that were going on. Uh, One case that comes to mind from that era is like the Robert Blake murder case. (laughs) So I would talk about things like that, but I, quite frankly, I wasn't really getting any traction. And then, uh, I would still write about local things here and there and try to focus my attention on the media. And just right around the same time the news press meltdown occurred and that would have been uh, July 6, 9, uh, 2006, I had actually written about a change in the weather person over at KUIT. and uh, you might, have, well, it's, of course, it's still around, EdHat, but EdHat at that time was kind of the go-to source for local online news, and uh, they posted a link to that blog post. Mm. Uh, about the weather person over at KYT and uh, immediately that link gave me a lot of hits, more hits than I'd ever had (laughs) and so maybe I'm on to something here and then almost immediately after that uh, the news press meltdown occurred Uh, Jerry Roberts of course was fired and there was the walkout and we all kind of know the history of that. And, of course, the news press would not report on itself. Mm. If I recall, Scott Hadley tried to write a news article about what had happened in the paper. And Wendy McCarr or Travis Armstrong, whoever was calling the shots, killed the article. And so and then, of course, there was uh the, the reporters at the news press, everyone who worked at the news press, not just the reporters, but everyone, no matter what you did, they were put under a gag order, as right. I'm sure he recalled. Right. And so no one could talk about what was going on inside the building, what was a real story about what happened at the news press. But I had a source, an employee at the news press who I was had been acquainted with from prior to that, who started giving me information about what was actually going on. And uh, I took that information and I put it on the blog and uh, Peter Sklar, who at that time had founded and and ran at at the late Peter Sklar, Mm -hmm. he would uh, put links on it and those links are really what made my blog take off. That's the way people knew that I was at that time the one source of information so I benefited from the fact that uh other people were under under basically gag orders and couldn't talk and uh there was really no other source of information about what was going on inside the building there at the news press
0: so you became this outlet this voice because people could not write stories from inside the building about the news press but they could maybe leak some info to you as well. What was that like for you at that time, Craig? I and mean, here you are. You are obviously a well respected person in your profession and you know, you're doing great work and all of a sudden you get these, this boost, this infusion of attention through being associated with Ed Hat. And, and now people are going directly to your site. What was that like going through it? Talk to me about that.
1: Well, it was certainly a lot of fun. Um, you know, my primary job for the last, oh, gee, 20 years uh, is actually teaching law school. And, of course, all of this happened or, or took off during the summer break when I really wasn't doing a whole lot in that regard. So all of a sudden, I am getting all of this attention. And uh, as I say, uh, my source of information was originally just one em- employee there at the news press. But as I kind of built a reputation for being uh, uh, a reliable source of information about what was going on in the building, other employees at the news press or their acquaintances who had access to what, you know, they were being told would reach out to me and give me things, give me leads and tips and information about what was going on. And of course, this is 2005 2006 blogs were kind of just catching on as being the thing on the internet but i think at that time it's fair to say that blogs had a reputation of being kind of gossipy and uh, not checking their sources and not you know you always had to take what was saw posted on the blog with a grain of salt and i'm proud to say that uh I really checked out all the information that I was given. I was fortunate that the information I was being given was very accurate to begin with. So it made that job a lot easier, but I remember uh, people, uh, well, Scott Hadley, who you mentioned, he was one of the first people to resign from the news press when they killed that news story. And he commented on how much actual reporting was done on my blog. And that's, that's a, a term I had not really been familiar with. The fact that, you you know, you actually go out. that's that That describes what journalists do and reporters do. And that they just don't take information face value. They actually go out and verify it and check with other sources. And that's really what I attempted to do with the blog.
0: What did you get out of it? Because there's... It's one thing if you're sort of captured by the spectacle of what's happening in your local daily newspaper. Uh, It's one thing if you sort of just kind of want to know the next thing that's going on and you want to talk about it with your friends and family, but it's quite another to be so important in the whole dialogue and conversation. You know, you were, you were writing about Michael Jackson before what it, what did it mean to you? What did you get out of it? Why, why did you want to be a part of this in this in such a significant way?
1: I don't know. I just think it's, you know, part of it, quite frankly, is it brings you positive attention to what you're doing. Uh, it's flattering that people come up to you. You know, I never knew Jerry Roberts before this occurred, mm-hmm. and but it, it happened. He got fired and the blog started to took off. I remember maybe about three or four months after all this occurred, I was at the Daily Grind coffee place in the morning and this guy walks over to me and says, are you Craig Smith? And I go, yeah. He goes, I'm, I, I'm Jerry Roberts. And so that that recognition it brought with it, even though all they had to go by was that headshot that I had on the front page of the blog. It wasn't like, now you're on YouTube and they see you on video. But uh, that was very satisfying. I had always had an interest in journalism going back to high school. In high school, I was on the school newspaper. I was both a, uh, a reporter, a photographer. I was on the yearbook staff. When I graduated from high school, I got accepted into UCLA. I intended to be a journalism major. Then Dumb me, I didn't realize that my freshman year is the at u c l a is a year u c l a killed its journalism major and its graduate school of journalism, <laughs> <laughs> so so much for being a journalism major. I ended up being a political science major, wow, and then of course, so who was your
0: advisor, your counselor? That's their fault, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's really on me. I was more <laughs> infatuated with You know that was i went to ucla and during the heyday of their basketball dynasty and the prospect of being able to get cheap and good tickets to the basketball games overrode any other consideration (laughs) (laughs) even academic considerations (laughs) so
0: i wasn't leaving ucla no (laughs) so so you had an interest in journalism and so you have a lot of respect for what what journalists do What kind of stories did you break? Like what kind of tips were you interested in and and what would people share? Obviously the next person to resign, right? Was obviously there was news there, Uh, but you did your own kind of reporting, right? You were writing little, little stories about stuff. Um, What kind of stuff did you break? Like what would you say was the hallmark of of your blog?
1: Well, certainly when memos would go around the office about things reporters were being you know told not to do i would break those Mm -hmm. uh certainly whenever as you say whenever someone got terminated or resigned most people it seemed uh you know got terminated but of course a lot of people resigned at, at one point or another for instance you know starshine rochelle she stuck it out for a while before she finally Resigned. Uh, other people, of course, uh, Melinda Burns, Don Hobbs, uh, Tom Schultz, uh, Melissa Evans. I think I've covered most of the people who were Barney McManagle. the people who were involved in that demonstration on the overpass. That was a big story. Uh, remember, they had the, they hung a banner over the Annapamu pedestrian crossing on the 101 freeway said Mm -hmm. cancel the news press and they immediately got fired for doing that that was certainly a big story when the actual uh national labor Relations board hearings took place the trial where it was they heard evidence and the the administrative law judge was to make the determination whether or not uh, Wendy McCaw had violated the rights of the employees. Those stories, I went and covered the trial every day. I sat in the in the courtroom there over at the bankruptcy courthouse where they held the hearings, where they held most of the hearings. I covered it every day. Mm. And over the history of my blog, those were the days that got the most hits. Okay, Because the news press wasn't even re- covering that on a daily basis. They don't only say, well, this hearing started, and then you'd hear nothing about it for days or weeks. So they didn't even cover themselves. Uh, KYT was covering it, but only in a limited fashion that TV news is able to cover it. So really, my blog was the principal source of uh, information about what was happening on a day-in and day-out basis in those labor violation trials.
0: Right. I guess it was citizen journalism at a time when citizen journalism was really taking off in the sense of it's something that could be respected, right? Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, there are blogs and, and unfortunately a lot of people don't know the difference between opinion and, and news reporting. And uh, you were out there. I don't recall you stating your opinion on your blogs. I, I don't recall that. I recall you tips, information, you know, maybe a little, little, uh, a voice a little flavor you know and in, in, in how you wrote but you were just kind of reporting what people were telling you and and, and that was the citizen journalism that so many people craved I, re- I remember i got subpoenaed when i was at the san jose mercury news because i left in 2006 and right before fiesta so i think that would have been like uh late july or early august and um I got subpoenaed to, to do whatever was going on at that, that yeah. court there. And, um, uh, it's, you know, a lot of people, right? would, would convened, they were subpoenaed. They were, they were, they were called and, and a lot of people's lives were disrupted and in an upheaval. And you were this sort of safe space. How did you deal with the, the other side? Like when you would interact with, uh, Travis Armstrong, or, or or any of the individuals who were representing the news press at the time, uh, were they mean to you on the street? Did they ever see you? Did they send you in emails? I mean, I don't want any personal outing of anyone, but but in general, how did how did the the uh, administration treat you while you were covering all this? You know, I never dealt with the administration.
1: Uh, probably my one failure as a journalist at that time was I never reached out to the other side for a comment Mm -hmm. because I knew based on their track record they weren't going to give me a comment right and so I just didn't want to waste my time trying to get a comment they they barely ever commented to anyone so I never dealt with I certainly never dealt with Wendy McCall although prior to all of this happening I had been I met her on two occasions. I've been introduced to her by Joe Cole, who at one time was the publisher of the news press, but he he was gone by the time mm-hmm. of the meltdown. so i I never dealt with Travis Armstrong, who was the editorial page editor, and eventually he was put in charge of the paper that' was probably one of the events that led up to the to the meltdown. Uh, really, the only person I dealt with that represented the news press was their attorney, Barry Capello, mm-hmm. who I had known for many years from being an attorney in the community. And uh, Barry has a reputation as being a very tough, very hard-charging attorney. He really pushes the envelope. He he has a reputation, though, for getting results for his clients. And... Uh, I must say that uh, despite that reputation, despite the fact that my uh, I tried to be objective, but it was clear that I was on the side of, of labor and, and uh, the news press employees, he remained always very friendly with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would talk to me. He wouldn't give me any confidential information or anything, but when I would ask him about, how the trial was going, he would give me an answer. And, uh, it it was never contentious between myself and Barry. I know he had some very contentious encounters with other reporters in town. One that comes to mind is Tracy Lair, who, uh, worked then at KYT and still works at KYT. She tried to interview him and talk to him, uh, at a noon recess at uh, one of those labor board hearings. And, uh, they had a very contentious exchange when he uh, accused her of being uh, a rude
0: reporter, but wow. I never had that experience with Barry. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I know Barry these days. I didn't really know him well then other than through reputation. Yeah. Um,
1: and uh,
0: I do like Barry. Uh, he, he, he uh, is very good at his job. And uh, yeah. in my interactions with him, very, very nice, good uh, person to me as well um i like tracy Lair too you know who's a colleague you know they like yeah. you know so um great one of the things that i'm trying to get at too is what it was like for you to be so you know there's john palmentary in this town right like so he is yeah. the most popular in terms of mainstream outside of our journalism world uh he's the guy right you know he, everyone yes. knows who he's he. an institution. Right, um, and then journalists will maintain certain levels of, of of high profile or prominence in the community, depending on you know what they do and their stories or if they're on TV, that kind of thing. But you at that time, right? You had like name recognition in these circles. These journalists really liked you, right? And you, I would imagine, your life changed socially to some degree in that. You know, you'd go to an event or people would see you and it's like, look, it's Craig Smith. There's Craig Smith. Right. You know, he's the guy with that blog. Can you talk a little bit about how you went from being kind of this quiet, unassuming guy behind the scenes to being the one where the journalists are like, talk to Craig Smith. Right. Well, that
1: certainly was the most fun part of it. And really. Everything was fun. Uh, You know, I never made any money doing the blog. (laughs) At one point, I had a little bit of advertising, but uh it never made any money, but I never did it for the money mm-hmm. and Certainly, as you say i you know one of the most surprising parts was the fact that I became kind of a local celebrity because I really wasn't expecting that yeah at all. And part of it was the fact that I was willing to attach my name to it. We forget the fact that there were other blogs in town that were talking about the news press and covering the story. But in every other situation, they were anonymous. Right. And I literally had my name out there on the blog. And so I had my name on the blog. I had my headshot on the blog. And, uh, I was willing to, you know, go out on a limb and and stand by what I said. And then along with that came, as you say, the recognition in the community and really writing the blog opened a lot of doors for me. Uh, Probably one of the most fun things uh, that that it opened up the opportunity to do was to cover the the Santa Barbara film fest for a number of years, because (laughs) one of the readers of the blog was Roger Derling, who of course is the director has been now for many years, the director of the film fest. He was a reader of the blog. He seemed to like what I was doing. He reached out to me and, uh, he would say, Hey, you know, you really ought to come cover our film festival. And I had no idea that a blogger like myself, uh, who was just kind of doing this as a as a hobby could actually get a a press credential to cover the news press and stand on the the red carpet. And out of that, I got to interview people like Jennifer Hudson, Al Gore, Clint Eastwood. I could just go on and on. And not only was it doing stuff like meeting those people and doing those brief interviews on the red carpet, but uh going to all the Film Fest events for free and getting invited to the VIP parties and doing some coverage of those. So yeah, it was really a lot of fun. Like I said, I never really made any money doing it, but it really opened up a lot of opportunities that I never would have had. So it's just showed me the power of of, of, of writing. And writing about things that people are interested in and doing a an credible job of it. It opened up a lot of doors for me.
0: Yeah, well, you really were a journalist because you didn't make any money. So that was one <laughs> <laughs> right right there. Yeah. Um, um, it was impressive that you would put your name. Uh, to your blog. And not only did we see your face, it was the name of your blog. And so uh, there's a certain amount of trust and credibility that comes with people who wanted to give you a source uh, or give you a tip, some information. Uh, We do remember at that time, there was Blog of Barbara. And uh, we, we, you know, like, you know, I know who that was. Uh, I'm not going to say, I don't know who knows, but everyone was like, who who is Blog of Barbara, right? And so there's a certain ceiling Right. When you've got that versus somebody who's like, look at me and you can see me in the community and everything I report, I stand by. And that was what, what you were doing real quickly, Craig. I want to ask you, uh, so many people were afraid of getting sued during this era and, and you seem to be able to report freely on these things and, um, kind of not have to deal with that threat or or nothing ever came of it maybe because you know you're an attorney but uh, that probably doesn't matter too much in terms of that but um can you just talk a little bit about your confidence in being able to have this blog and, and and not worry so much about repercussions of, of reporting this news
1: Well, one advantage of a legal education was that I was well acquainted with the laws on defamation and libel. Mm -hmm. And I knew that being able to sue a news source, whatever the news source is, for reporting facts, there's a very high standard. And my guess is the news press was probably aware of that. In other words, That uh, to be successful, you would have to show that uh, what was reported was done either knowing it was false or with reckless disregard for the truth or falsity of the matter. And I was very careful to only report things that I had high confidence were true. And I checked out as many facts as I could. I couldn't always check out everything that I was told. But by having high confidence in in what i was reporting i knew that i would be immune from liability under the new york times versus sullivan standard and my guess is is that if anyone at the news press ever considered suing me because i never got sued and i never received a cease and desist letter they probably thought well number one we're dealing with an attorney number two uh, what he's writing really wouldn't, you know, violate that New York Times versus Sullivan standard is probably fruitless. And maybe number three is we don't want to bring him even more attention than he already has by suing him. <laughs> right. I, I kind of think probably of those three possibilities, that third one is the most likely. Hey, if we sue him, we'll just give him more attention than he than he already has because a lot of the other people who were, were being threatened really weren't, uh, didn't have a higher profile as right. I did at that time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, at, at its height, Craig, how many views or hits were you getting? If you want to, if you can share that, um, how, how popular was your blog? It was popular. Wow. You know, I
1: would get, uh, Gee, it's a long long time ago now, so it's hard to remember, but usually around 2,000 hits a day. And really, I I think I alluded to it earlier, it really peaked during those news press labor trials. That's when I actually got the, the most readership. And in fact, it would actually double in some of those days. And during the trial itself, I was posting twice a day. Mm-hmm. I would have my usual posts that would appear. I'd post it about midnight so people would be able to read it the first thing in the morning when they woke up. And then when during the trial, I'd do an update. I'd spend my lunch hour when they were in the noon recess. I'd spend my lunch hour writing a blog post about what had happened in the trial that morning. Mm-hmm. And so that that was really the hype. Those were my my
0: highest view days during the weeks of those trials. Mm-hmm. You were super popular, super relevant, and then you stopped the blog, right? You eventually phased it out. And and so can you talk about why you made the decision and and when did you make that decision to, to stop doing Craig Smith's blog?
1: Well, probably it's a combination of a couple factors. So the news press meltdown began in July of 2006, and I kept the blog going for about a good five years. Then uh, then two things happened. One thing was I think the community in some ways began to lose interest in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great story for a while because it had all the elements of a great story. It had uh, uh, a villain, Wendy McCaw, who the community was rooting against. I was she was my foil for the blog. And so it was a great storyline, but you don't, if you talk about things like popular TV series and things like that, none of those things last forever. You know, Friends ended after so many years. Uh, uh, Mary Tyler Moore didn't last forever. And so certainly I'm not in that class. So the fact that I kept it going for five years I think the community started getting a little jaded and weary of the news press story. Nothing was really changing. She, Wendy McCaw, was successful in, in stonewalling uh, uh, the the Labor Relations Board and the Teamsters Union, and people just kind of, got weary of the story. And I noticed that I started getting probably more negative comments and people saying, Oh, why don't you get off that story? Find something else. Mm -hmm. And really there was never that good of a story in many ways in this town during the time I was doing the blog. So that was factor number one. And then factor number two was in 2011, I'd been, I'd, been a few years removed from actively practicing law and I was working part-time teaching law school. I was offered a full-time position at the local law school mm-hmm. because they needed to hire full-time faculty because they wanted to get a higher accreditation for the for the school. So I, so in 2011 I actually took on a full-time job and I just had less time to work on the blog so between those two things a drop off in interest in the news press saga and now having a full-time job after being a part-timer for so many years between those two things that's what kind of caused the blog to
0: kind of fade out right and i think that's also the the parallel with the story of the news press was as new people come into town as people age as the media market becomes more fragmented you know under trump where he's actively trying to destroy the credibility of the press people tend to blur it all together right so there are people who will read about this latest news and say well we shouldn't be printing newspapers anyway right and so it's like that's entirely missing the point you know what we're talking about here is content we're talking about investigative journalism we're talking about covering a community in depth in all the ways that a daily newspaper does and should do and what we had and that was what that's what the loss is right it wasn't that people didn't like their paper. it was that their paper changed and these journalists left and the ones who stayed um, were focusing on an internal battle you know with the company while still doing journalism and people kind of forget all of that. I want to ask you Craig about the media market I mean, how do you feel about what's happening in journalism? what has been happening? We have Newshawk, we have the independent. We have Ed Hat, of course, Uh, we have KYT, we have other publications, depending on, you know, what city you live in, and and that sort of thing regionally. Um, Are things fine now? Um, You know, talk about the media market and what we had, what we don't have, what we miss, or everything as you see it from your perspective. Well, I wish I could say that the media market in this
1: town was really healthy and vibrant, but I don't feel that it is. Uh, Newshawk certainly does a good job. Uh, the Independent does a good job. But of course, the Independent's only a weekly publication, and now we no longer have a daily newspaper. Uh, Newshawk, wisely, I think, is online. But the online experience is different from the print experience, and now there's a huge gap in the in in the print experience. Uh, probably one of the reasons Wendy McCaw was able to stretch out the demise of the news press as long as she did is because she had no real competition for a daily newspaper. If she had a competition from another daily newspaper, I think the news press would have either done one or two things. It would have folded a long time ago or she would have uh, uh, obeyed the orders of the National Labor Relations Board and dealt more fairly with her employees, especially her the journalist on her staff. And so there was no competition in daily newspapers in Santa Barbara in terms of TV news, local TV news. There's no competition because uh, the three... Three of the four network affiliates that serve this area, they're all basically, I don't know what the actual structure of it is, but KYT, uh, KCOY Channel 12, which is ostensibly based in Santa Maria, but actually runs their news operation out of here. And then the Fox 11 affiliate, they're all run by the KYT people. Yeah. And so if you look at the, the stories, there it's just a lot of recycled news. And as you mentioned, you know, people like John Pimentary, Tracy Lair, uh, the principal anchors have all been there a long time. But once you get past that level, it seems like everyone who's a reporter here is covering the news. It looks to me like, you know, they're in their first job as a journalist and we all need a place to start. And I understand it, but it would be more encouraging if they would reach out and hire more experienced reporters to put into the mix. Because to me, if you look at TV news, it's a lot of recycled news. And then let's not forget radio, Mm -hmm. except for the NPR station, KCLU, and and I guess KCRW that now serves us out of Santa Monica, but it's really only KCLU. There's really no local radio news. You might remember at a time uh, there was KTMS and oh. uh, and uh, Kiss Radio. Yeah, you know, they, they actually had the uh, guys who were doing local news, mm-hmm. and there's no local news on the radio with the exception of the NPR stations.
0: Yeah. Lance Rosco is that KCLU? Is, you know, yeah,
1: Lance Orozco on KCLU. And of course he was at KYT for a long time and then went on to work in LA at
0: uh, KCBS. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, we, we, this market like, is a very, very smart market. There are people in this community who love news and they love in-depth news. And so we were a community that was, not immune to what was happening in California and nationally to the newspaper industry, but we were a community that really appreciated and loved its journalism. And so, to see that whole fall sort of accelerated, um, it, it, it is a very sad thing. And uh, in terms of the the types of stories that that we all do, you know, there's there's great journalism, but as you know, Craig, we need money. Right. Like, you know, you, you know, yeah. institutions need money to pay, to to retain, to recruit, to promote. And if you don't have that, then you have a high turnover of young reporters who kind of come into it for a year or two and then leave or they go into PR. And, um, you know, what's left are people like Jerry and Nick Welsh and myself, you know, these sort of um uh veterans who stick around because we love it and we know the deal and um yeah. we're not going to get rich here but we love the journalism of it and so um it's really kind of um fragmented but but at the same time I mean we do good stuff here for for what we are you know independent news hawk uh you know everybody's got good stories where you're just like wow yeah. that's amazing for the small market that yeah. this community is in you know so yeah, you, i want to
1: say you know journalism is expensive because yeah. as you well know it costs money to send someone as such as yourself to city council meetings county board of supervisor meetings planning commission meetings board of education meetings and as you go down to those lower levels of government, those more specialized boards and committees, they need to be covered. What they do needs to be reported, but at the same time, the audience for that, the lower you go, is small, but it still costs just as much to cover the uh, the, uh The city council, as or I should say, the sanitation board, if there is a sanitation (laughs) board, as it does to cost to cover a city council meeting. (laughs) And so, yeah, it and that's really what uh, journalism is up against the high cost of journalism, uh, as you know, reduced advertising revenues. It's just so fragmented. The income stream on the internet and on the web is just so fragmented. It's really tough to make
0: to make it even break even. Yeah. You know, I worked at the Mercury news for a little more than two years. Greatest job I ever had. I loved it. Worked in San Jose in the Bureau covered city hall, took an elevator to go talk to the mayor and most money I've ever made. um, But came back because my wife just, you know, it was either stay and we're going to divorce or come back and, you know, you, we won't. And so you know, I had kid at the time. Now I have two kids, and it's a hard thing to do because when you love journalism, I'm like that's all you want to do. It's like oh, I got to go yeah. back there and figure out I to cobbled together a whole bunch of jobs in order to make what I made in 2007. Give me a break, you know. But that's the choice we make. I think the for me, and I know Scott Hadley always gets embarrassed when I mention his name. So if he's watching, I'm sorry. But to me, one of the if we were to really crystallize it one of the tragedies of all this is you have an investigative reporter like Scott Hadley, who I'm sure you remember and had good experience with who um, is no longer doing journalism. Would he still be doing journalism today? If he were still, if nothing had happened, I don't know, but the level of work, small, medium, large stories, investigative stories that he was doing was just phenomenal. But, now he works uh, for a tech company, and he's making a lot more money and so I just and, and how can you blame him right he's got family and kids and I just wish that the journalism industry could somehow figure out a way to maintain us and these high level professionals and allow us to have families and allow us to you know be able to grow in a community and you know, it's just we know that that's not not happening. And so, the, you know, Scott Hadley's the one I mentioned. There are others, you know, who you could mention in that yeah. conversation. Craig, what do you think of Jerry Roberts? Um, you know, he's still around. He does his uh, newsmaker show. He writes his, you know, he has his blog. Um, you know, in some ways, he's like the new version of you in terms of he gets a lot of this stuff and, and reports it. And he's a go-to place for a lot of this stuff. Um and and you know him, you met him, and he was sort of the impetus for this meltdown and, you know, the 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 resignations. Here we are, 2023, right? What do you think yeah. of Jerry Roberts and his legacy?
1: You know, I have so much respect for Jerry and what he has done. Uh, you know, let's not forget that when he came here to take over, I think originally he was both the publisher and the editor of the news press when Wendy McCaw hired him. He came from a big city newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, That was kind of unheard of to come down here and take this job. And he really, you know, the the news press, I don't want to get too far ahead uh, away from your question, but the news press over the years, I've been in this town 47 years, and the reputation of the news press has ebbed and flowed. It was originally, when I came to town, it was under the ownership of a Philadelphia newspaper. Then, as you mentioned, the New York Times bought it, and the the reputation for it went, and the quality went up quite a bit. And then Wendy McCaw bought it, and in fairness to her, in doing things like hiring Jerry, she kept the quality high. And Jerry did a lot of great things when he came and took over as publisher and editor of the newspaper. And then, of course, there was a meltdown. And the things that Jerry has gone through, you know, one of the things he talks about is at the premiere of Citizen Macaw, they had the reception or kind of after party afterwards. And he said he's at the after party and people are coming up to him and saying, Congratulations, congratulations. And Jerry sank himself. Wait a minute! Uh, I got fired. I got sued for twenty-five million dollars, and I got cancer. What are they congratulating me for? So Jerry has really been through a lot, but he's come out of it. And as you say, now he's got, uh, you know, his, his his reports website, and uh, he he is doing a lot of things that maybe if I was still active in it. I would be doing myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I have a lot of admiration for Jerry. I'm very fond of
0: Jerry. He's truly a local hero. Yeah, great. So, so as we kind of steer toward the end of this conversation, Craig, I could talk to you all day about all this stuff. But um, I got all day. <laughs> good. All right. Well, so as you as you exited the blog, right? You sort of slowed down, you started teaching full-time, there was less interest. Talk to me about, you know, was it hard for you to just all of a sudden not be as community? Uh, you know, I don't want to say relevant, but there's a certain buzz around you amid the news press thing. Away from that, you know, uh, what is it? Fame is fleeting, right? Like you're out, you do it, yeah. people, everyone knows who you are. All of a sudden, you're just, you know, the guy, you know, walking around downtown, you know. So what was that like sort of leaving that kind of high profile media role? You know,
1: there was a little bit of withdrawal involved, because as you say, kind of at the height of popularity of the block, people will actually stop me on the streets or say, hey, are you aren't you Craig Smith? (laughs) And so, yeah. And I must say, everyone who recognized me on the street or came up to me it was always a pleasant encounter I never had an unpleasant encounter in those types of situations where you would get the unpleasant encounters were the the hate mail that you would get so uh, and there was there was you know there was some of that and so that certainly wasn't you know it's always you know you know they're they're cranks they're haters but even knowing that is never pleasant to get that kind of feedback. Uh you know, once the news press stories kind of started dying down, you know, as I say, it's a combination of people getting tired of it. There's less daily news at the height of it. There was something new coming out of the building almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But so that that uh flow of information slowed down. Uh I did a lot of writing about the Film Fest when the Film Fest would come around every year. But between the news press and the Film Fest, you take those two things out of the equation. Then it comes a little more difficult to come up with a story every day. And my goal was to publish a new story five days, at least five days a week and take, mm-hmm. take the weekends off. So I didn't miss that part of it because... You know, that it's, it takes a lot of work, and it was never a money-making operation. So there was certainly a period of withdrawal, but you get used to it. And uh, it's nice to see other people, you know, uh, doing what they're doing, like yourself, like Jerry. Uh, I certainly enjoy reading Nick Welsh on a weekly basis, The Angry Poodle
0: Barbecue. Uh, yeah, that's The Angry <laughs> yeah. Poodle Barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, we've all had to reinvent ourselves, and Nick's just this, and you know, I can't even think of the word to describe his writing, but phenomenal, spectacular, you know, incredible yeah. voice that no one else can match in that, in that poodle. Um, what do you follow local politics, Craig? Like, are, are you reading uh, stories about the city council and the cannabis yeah, disaster do. and all these? Like, are you? You still up on all this stuff that's going on? What do you care I try about?
1: to stay up on it? It's mm-hmm. a lot to keep up with, but I certainly try to stay up with, with it. And uh, once again, the news press, Newshawk, those are all very reliable sources. And in, in my, not, did I say the news press? I meant the independent. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: Newshawk are quite reliable sources for that kind of thing. So, you know, back in that time, I don't, I don't even know how often you and I talked. Like, I mean, I, I know who you are through your face, right, and your reputation. Yeah. But I can't even recall, which my memory's really bad, but, um, you know, you were kind of that guy on that website, too. So I didn't know you at all on any kind of personal level at all. You were just the the media guy. Can you talk a little bit about what happened since then and and what you're doing? I know you're teaching. Uh you, you have some children. I mean, you're, you were focused on being a dad. Uh, what's Craig yeah. Smith's life been like since this heyday of the media blog? Well, let's start with my kids because they're now
1: all grown up. My <laughs> son is, uh, I have a son who's 34, who is a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And he just took a job at UC San Francisco at uh, Benioff Children's Hospital, where I actually did his residency. Uh, spent a lot of time with him this summer because on May 1st he was living in Denver, Colorado. And on May 1st this year, he broke his leg in a skiing accident. Mm. And between myself, his mother and his sister, we had been taking turns going back to Denver to help him out. And then he just took this new job. So last week I spent the week driving back from Denver to San Francisco with him. Mm. Uh, my daughter is uh 27 now and she is uh living in chicago she's been living in chicago for a number of years now she is a program manager for a nonprofit that has a contract uh i believe with cook county to do sexual assault response at emergency rooms mm. and she really Loves that work and and feels that it's very important work, and she loves Chicago. I I you know both of my kids were born and raised in Santa Barbara, but they both <laughs> once they are out on their own, they chose to go other places. So my kids are doing well. I'm uh, I'm no longer full time at our law school. I'm I'm still a part time adjunct uh, professor, but I. I'm basically holding down uh, three part-time jobs in addition to law school teaching. I'm also one of uh, the mental health hearing officers for the County of Santa Barbara. So Hmm. people who are in the psychiatric facility on a 72-hour hold if the facility, wants to extend their uh, stay there, the patient has a right to a hearing. So I conduct those hearings a couple days a week. On behalf
0: of the county so so let me just stop you there what what that again right i mean you, you could be doing a lot of things with your credentials you choose to do this um what's that like for you, do you is it a lot of i mean that must be pretty overwhelming to hear these sort of stories and and watch sort of what's happening with people uh can you talk a little bit about how you how you deal with that well it certainly makes you aware that
1: there is a mental health crisis certainly in this country certainly in this state and certainly in this county uh the psychiatric health facilities and we basically in our psychiatric health facility we only have less than 20 beds and that's for a county of more than four hundred thousand people so that's that's you know it's it's a job that's obviously a paid job but it's a part-time position but it's very important work because people are held there either because they're a danger to themselves a danger to others or they are unable to provide due to mental health reasons for their own food uh clothing or shelter so we have a lot of people who are very vulnerable and uh it makes you thankful that i haven't gone crazy or anything like that it makes you thankful that uh we have some type of services to offer them, although they could be a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Mental health is really underfunded, probably not only in this county, but just, but just statewide. So that's a very critical need.
0: Wow. Okay. And then you have a, th- a third thing you do, you said. What is I have that? a
1: third job that I do that I just started this summer. It's kind of a fun job, but I joined this uh Uh, outfit that conducts walking tours down at the Santa Barbara waterfront Hmm. and so it's uh, free walking tours SB and I conduct a uh, hour 45 minute tour of the waterfront area where I talk about the history of the waterfront the history of Santa Barbara the Channel Islands there's a lot in there about the Chumash Indians because our waterfront down by the beach, down across from West Beach. That's the site of one of the major Chumash Indian villages mm-hmm. that uh, you know, for thousands of years was the home to the Trumash. At one time, the Chumash were the largest Indian tribe in all of California. And so in that job, I meet mostly people from out of town and a lot of people from uh other countries. A lot of tourists from other countries and it's fun to meet the new people and it's i enjoy talking about the
0: history of santa barbara how did you develop that knowledge did you have to go through some training or this was something you you knew already or how did you learn all this i actually had to
1: go through some training so the guy who runs the outfit john ummel who started this walking tour business he developed these narratives about the 11 different uh stops on the on the waterfront tour and i knew a little bit about some of this stuff uh but not to the depth that i now know about it so i just started doing that this summer as i said uh, i spent a lot of time uh this summer going back and forth between here and denver uh help my son who had broken his leg and so I had a lot of free time to study all that material. So fortunately, I was able to get up to speed on it relatively quickly. But okay. it's really fascinating. It's encouraged me to go out and learn even more about
0: Santa Barbara's history. Yeah. Have you read that, read, or that shark? Is it shark, uh, land shark? Have you got on that boat, car thing? <laughs> <laughs> so... uh I'm not a fan of the land shark
1: because I think it has a pretty big environmental footprint, mm-hmm. and I uh, I kind of like the land shark is a little bit of a party bus in my in my view. I maybe that's unfair for me to say that because I've never actually been on the land shark, but I certainly see it rolling around town, and it has a big footprint. I. Uh, personally, I think one probably sees more on foot.
0: Right. I wrote it back when I wrote a story about it 20 years ago or whenever it okay. did. Um, and and I, now I see it and it does look a little bit like, uh, oh, it's a party going on on that boat. Yeah. So, But they figured out a way to make it work. I remember when they started thinking, how's that going to work in Santa Barbara? But, you know, it goes in the ocean. It comes out around downtown. Yeah. It's a huge thing. They figured out a way to work you know well that's cool that you do those walking tours uh, you know that's very educational and i guess that's kind of who you are you are a lawyer but you're also um a real big advocate for information freedom of the press sharing ideas and uh knowledge and uh you're an educator you know so um that is totally in step with with what you do i kind of want to give you the last word craig here you know we're we're signing off with um, what appears as though there's no more daily newspaper. Some people are saying, "Oh, you should, you know, someone should buy the name," kind of thing. And it's like, you know, we, it's, it's, it's the journalism that matters. You know, that's, yeah. that's what matters. We need, we need um, strong journalism. Um, so I don't know what buying a name, you know, is. And so uh, there are people who are like, oh, you know, buy it, save it. I don't know. Maybe she'll start something else down the road. I-, I don't know what's going to happen, but what do you want to say just going forward? You know, what is your goal? What is your hope for, for all these journalists who, who work there, who, who, you know, There were still some, I guess, who lost their jobs over the weekend, (laughs) you know. um, What do you want to say about going forward in the media industry and why it's so important that we all just have this, like, respect for the work that journalists do in this community?
1: Well, it's important to have a source of news and a source of information that we can all trust. And that certainly has become fragmented over the years. And we just no longer have that. Uh, you know, people now get their news from Facebook and Twitter, and none of that is vetted, none of that is curated. And it's great that people like myself uh could start up a website and have the reach that it have had it had with basically zero investment of money, but that's really not sustainable over a long time term basis. Uh, I think it's been proven that good journalism can survive. The New York Times is certainly thriving. And locally, what's NewsHawk been here? What, 15? 15 years, 16 years now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's proven to be sustainable. So why has NewsHawk been around so long? Because people can trust Mm NewsHawk. They go to NewsHawk and they know it's a reliable source of information and uh but once again it it takes you know the advertising on the internet is just you know a shambles and it's very hard to 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 create a business model out of that so i certainly you know hope we find our way uh it's going to take more than just buying the right to use the news press name because whoever if that were to happen if, That's just the starting point. You have to back it up with resources. And -hmm. the question would be, if someone wanted to go that route and and take over the news press by buying the name and starting up anew, how are they going to back it up with the resources? News gathering, as I said before, is a very expensive operation. Yes. And, of course, disseminating it, uh, I'm sure it cost a lot of money to run that printing press that she cut, that she shut down uh, Mm -hmm. a month or two ago. So a lot of things to figure out.
0: Well, you know, journalism is people like you need quality people, people who do the work over the name. That's what what matters is your website, Craig, still up. You can still access the blog. Yes. And tell us what it's what it is. Um, It's a Craig Smith blog dot
1: com. Craig dot so, yeah,
0: blog.com. Yeah. Okay.
1: Or if you just
0: if you just Google
1: Craig Smith's blog, I'm sure it will pop up.
0: All right. And so the whole history of everything you ever reported is is right there. Um you ever going to come out of retirement and you know, do anything, you think? Or you're you've had that feel and now you're good. Oh, I don't know. Every once in a while I get envious and I
1: kind of miss the uh <laughs> the positive attention that it brought. So uh I don't know. You know, it took off because of an unexpected sudden event, the meltdown at the news press, at least unexpected and sudden to those of us who were on the outside. Maybe it wasn't so maybe it was a more gradual thing being on the inside, but you never know. There might be another unexpected sudden event that uh captures the attention of the community and merits some attention and there and there's and really I profited uh, because there was a gap to fill mm-hmm. there was a void there because as I said at the outset no one was allowed within the building was allowed to report on what was going on inside the building mm-hmm. so it's it finally it's, it's a it's a uh, situation where you're looking for a a void to fill
0: well, Greg Smith, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you're a big uh, advocate and defender of the First Amendment, of the press, and uh, you also... Do all these amazing things in your life, uh, that you choose to do with your careers. Uh, and it's all based off of wanting to make the world a better place around you and help those who are in need and, and educate people about issues, topics in the community. And that's very impressive. And I know that back in that, those days, you were the man when it comes to media and tips and sources and everybody said, Have you read Craig Smith's blog today? That was what we talked about at, you know, 9.30 a.m. or whenever we strolled into work, you know, (laughs) express. And, um, you know, you have that piece of history as being somebody who was doing citizen journalism. So um, I'm so glad we're able to to talk and uh, catch up and uh, we'll do that in-person coffee at some point soon i'll hit you up but thanks a lot you Greg. thanks for your uh, time.
1: thank you very much it was very generous of you to say all those nice things about me and thank you for inviting me on the podcast
0: all right I look forward a... to the coffee all right thank you have a great day bye okay bye bye